Mindfulness Mode, Episode 41. Part of my mindfulness practice is, is realizing that I'm an instrument for messages. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Hey, this is our first episode of 2016. Happy New Year and all the best to you, Mindful Tribe, for a mindful and happy 2016. Thanks for the reviews on iTunes. I want to mention Joel Bogus. He said, we all need inspiring stories, fresh ideas, relevant information, and practical steps. Well done, Bruce. That's from Joel and Dr. Pei, hosts of Relaunch Podcast. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Melissa Mattern on the line today. Hey, Melissa, are you in mindfulness mode? Absolutely, 24-7. Terrific. Melissa Mattern is a professional psychic known as the psychic genius. She's energetic and fun and is committed to peace, daily mindfulness, and living in love. Gratitude is a central theme in Melissa's life, including being thankful for what she's learned after receiving word in 2009 that she had breast cancer. Clients say psychic readings with Melissa help bring clarity, release, joy, and a big dose of inspiration to their lives. So Melissa, tell Mindful Tribe how you first knew you had these psychic abilities. I'm interested in this. Well, that's a great question, and it's the question I'm asked most often. Uh, Definitely when I was a kid, I knew that I was a little different from the other kids, but I had no idea how far off I was um, because at the time I was very clairaudient. So I heard voices, and the minute someone tells you that you shouldn't be talking about things like that, you sort of shut it down. But I always knew I was very, very different. And to the the point where my first job, I worked in a convent. For many years, just lettering mass cards and folding cards and just kind of hanging out in a quiet place so that I could exist in school. But definitely in high school, I didn't run over to the psychics table and say, where do I sign? (laughs) I I went to, you know, uh, I went through uh, college and became a teacher and eventually moved on to corporate training and moved into corporate America where uh, being psychic was my secret weapon. But again, I thought that most people had that power and most people knew how a meeting was going to end, knew how a day was going to go. And I didn't really realize till I was about 40 that I was way out of the range. And honestly, when you open yourself up to it, and uh, as one of my teachers says, when you name it, you claim it, then you start getting way more messages. My, my information became much more clear and I got more comfortable with it to the point where, you know, after I I had uh, my kiss with breast cancer and the breast cancer life. I decided, you know, I'm ready to live my, I'm ready to live this and do it. And I have never looked back. And I, I'm at 50, almost 52, I've never been in my power so well and so healthfully. And I, I just, I'm loving it. I, I exude joy. when If you meet me in person and even in my voice, you can hear I'm extremely joyful and extreme and I live in gratitude. Well, I I definitely can hear that, Melissa. Now, I want to go back to the part you mentioned about the breast cancer. I'm just wondering, you received that diagnosis. How did mindfulness play a role as you as you moved through that journey? 
Oh, it saved, absolutely saved my life. Uh, I went through five years of lumpectomies. It wasn't, you know, typically on, a, on Lifetime movies, you get the diagnosis and suddenly you're in surgery. And that happens to a lot of people. But for me, it was really a slow burn. So I actually developed um, PTSD from every six months I was having another scan. They'd have another, I'd have another lump. We'd look into another medication. And so I was constantly in MRI machines and waiting sometimes three and four weeks for my tumors to go to tumor board. So I, I prayed a lot, obviously, and mm -hmm. I got to the point where I could get in an MRI machine, which for me, sometimes it would be over an hour in there. And I could literally fall asleep just focusing on the beeps inside of the MRI machine and really just go into a totally altered state. And that's that it saved my life. Wow. Yeah. I, I would have gone nuts. Well, and a lot of people do. A lot of people have massive challenge with those kinds of treatments. I know that. So, so you'd get into that machine, and then you just kind of get yourself into the mode, and you you just tell yourself, "I'm just going to bring myself down." Is that what you would do exactly? Take us to that moment of I, when you were going into that machine. It's it's a great question because um, you know you think about that song Ground Control to Major yes. Tom because I went to closed MRI so you know you're face down going into this tube I don't know how you can be any uh, any more powerless and everyone leaves the room and it's just you in the machine and the, those MRI machines are very loud and they have a beat and I used to wear headphones and you know try to listen to music which is impossible and I found that if I focused on just the beeps. I would instantly go into an altered state and not remember, wow, I've been in here for an hour. And I, I had no issues. Even some people don't like to go into closed MRI. I always felt like I'm going in my capsule and I'm just going to go really, really within. And the other thing that really saved me, I love, love, love music. And um, I surround myself with music all the time. I love um, particularly Michael Franti and Spearhead. And when I would be going in, I would put my iPod on and sort of focus on that incredible message of positive you know, positive vibes and really staying in the moment. And that kept me from, from losing it. Yes. And every time I went to the, any, any oncologist or appointment where I knew there was going to be a lot of news and a lot of discussion, I would just really focus in, listen to some music and come in and say, you know, I'm going to have to make some real time decisions today. And I have to trust that I'm with the best people for the job. So did you have a challenge dealing with others as you went through all this treatment, like other people who would give you free advice and they would try to encourage you, but it didn't feel like encouragement? And if so, did mindfulness play a role in that? Not at all. Um, uh, mindfulness definitely played a role, but I, I was, I'm from the camp that what other people think of you is not, it's none of your business. Right. And, uh, and also, yeah, I liked the support, but it was more when you have a health challenge like that, you become the cheerleader for everyone else. Because every time you talk to a woman in her mind, she's thinking, wow, that, what if that were me? I, and, and breast cancer is so prevalent that, you know, there's, there's tons of people who have it and the women, the, the women who don't are like, wow, I'm sorry for her. Glad that's not me. So yes. you, you have to say, oh, it's not that bad and it's great. And so I found myself really being a cheerleader mm -hmm. and that kept me bubbled up. But at time it was an incredible strain. And then, you know, I'd, I'd have to go back and settle in. And sometimes I would have to take it one step at a time. And I had a whole, um, fortunately, by the time 
it had to spread so much and it was kind of pre-cancer, not cancer. We don't know. So you're in all these gray areas. It'd be different if they came in and said, you're riddled with cancer. We need to do this right away. But I was always in that gray area where should we or shouldn't we? And by the time they said, hey, we want you to have a double mastectomy. Of course, I laughed my head off and said, well, I'm I'm going to France. I can't have a mastectomy. <laughs> I'm going to France. <laughs> so they, they said, you can go to France. So I, I went and spent time with a really dear friend and had a great time kind of a farewell tour and came back and it gave me a lot of time to be really psychologically ready because um, I did not reconstruct. I chose not to reconstruct because I just felt like I had been through enough Yes, and I wanted to be finished with surgery. And I've never looked back on that decision ever. Good, good, good. And so you've uh, you transitioned into this life where you're helping others and you're reading for them and you're you're helping them kind of gain clarity in their lives. So tell us more about that. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting job because uh, I forget 95 percent of what I tell people and I often forget what people look like. So I'm not up in the middle of the night thinking about their problems or my problems, or what goes on. And most people come in with pretty heavy things. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think, too, very few people come in and go, I was having such a great day, I decided to book a psychic. Right. <laughs> uh, my, my secret tagline is, when you're out of options, that's when I start to make sense. <laughs> that's a good tagline. So I get a lot of people who have maybe struggled with uh, a huge issue, maybe um, some sexual abuse, some physical abuse, uh, bullying, anything. Uh, they come in with a huge issue and we really can work through that rather quickly. Or they'll come in with a great idea or they're not too sure where they want to go. And I can give them a lot of clarity, but it really flows through me. It doesn't stick to me. And I think that's uh, part of my mindfulness practice is is realizing that I'm an instrument for messages. I have no ego. Uh, the minute I get into ego, I lose my connection with um, spirit or with my guides, and I'm unable to give good information. So I, I always say I'm not the psychic genius. My my guides are, but I, I'm posing for them right now. So that's part of your secret, making sure that that ego is is not present at all, that you're just completely free of it. Is that right? Absolutely. I, I have to completely stay out of ego. And that's a that is a that is a practice in and of itself. And uh, meditation and mindfulness are extremely important to me uh, because I, I have to have myself in a very quiet place just to do my job. Um, I was doing a reading the other day and I have some squirrels that had gotten up in my attic and I'm, you know, six feet from a guy climbing up a ladder, putting up things to block the squirrels out and trying to figure out where the squirrels are. And I'm, you know, I'm doing a reading for someone that is a very, I have their heart in my hands. So that mindfulness allows me to just really block out everything and be one with that person and be one with that information. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. I, I can still do my job um, to the best of my ability at all times. Cause I owe that to the client when they come to see me, a they've set aside their time and B they have asked me to take their heart in my hands and do what I'm going to do. Now, I want to ask you, the sessions that you have with your clients, is it usually a one or a two-time thing, or does it usually is it more of an ongoing thing for six months, a year, two years? 
You know, I, I like to stay in a couple of times a year and there's a few people that I see all the time and I kind of have a few special clients that, you know, they may be friends or they may be people that I work with closely that I will talk to them all the time for short bursts. But um, a reading is, is usually kind of an event. Um, and that I like to keep it that way so that they have plenty of time to go and do the work. You know, as a as a former teacher, you know, I probably assign a lot of homework in a reading. Right. <laughs> so, right. So I'm constantly you need to read this book. You need to do this thing. I need you to write this thing. We need to see this happen. And and I really will push them to stretch themselves. I absolutely cannot do the work for the person. That's why I I don't really put myself out as a healer. I can't do the work for the person. They have to do the work. And more importantly, they have to want to do the work. Right. And by coming to me, they're sending a signal to the universe. They are ready to do the work. And I'm here to give them a guidance on what the work needs to be to take them to wherever it is they're supposed to go. So do you think that's sometimes why we get to that point? Because because we haven't been doing the work. We've been pushing it aside. We've been pretending life is okay. We just haven't been doing the right kind of work that we should be. Is that is that true? Oh, absolutely. People have to get to a pain point to change. I, right. I Again, people don't get up in the morning and go, I feel great today. I should change. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and, I, you know, I'm in a huge flux at, at my house where, you know, not only did I have squirrels, I blew the electricity out in my office, the heat out in my house. My garbage disposal just fell apart and something's coming out from behind my refrigerator. And I said to myself yesterday, wow, I really need to make some, uh, there's some sort of shift I need to do <laughs> other than just calling people to fix things. And it, it was really, um, okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret and mm-hmm. uh, that I am really, really afraid of squirrels. Okay. And so here I have squirrels in my house. Like how could the universe do anything <laughs> more to me that they were, not only were they in my house, they were in the ceiling above my kitchen oh. running around. Oh, so, really? I was really sort of rocked to my core. And that morning, we had had a trap up there for a couple of days. And I said to my husband, you know, if I let go of this fear of squirrels, I think that squirrel will go in that trap. And I don't think three minutes went by and I heard that trap snap and he was in there. Oh, isn't so that something? It's about intention. And that is a part of mindfulness. When I was putting out the website and my, you know, my website's gone through a ton of updates because you know, I'm, I'm learning all the time. But the, well, before I published my first website, which was such a big deal to me, it was the first time I was going to publicly go out and say, I am a psychic. So I'm out walking and I had ever, you know, I'd done all this editing and writing and photos and makeup and, and uh, I'm out walking and I know I'm, when I came back, I was going to send the information to the developer. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden my right foot hurt. And I could barely walk. And I was like two miles from my house. And I thought, well, how the, how am I going to get home? My foot is killing me. And I thought, well, what would make my right foot hurt? And it just snapped in my head, right foot. You're not off on the right foot. <laughs> and I realized I had left a critical piece that sort of tied my website together out of the papers that I was going to send to him out of the out of the text. I went home and put it in there. And at the minute I said, I'm not off on the right foot, my right foot stopped hurting. That's amazing. That's amazing. Melissa, earlier you mentioned meditation. What does meditation look like in your life? It's got a lot of components. Uh, it, the traditional, you know, sitting in silence. I may sit with uh, with some of my teachers. I love um, 
three years ago, I, I met a meditation teacher named David G. So it's the word David and then J-I on it, which means dear one. And he actually uh, came from the Chopra Center. So he was, you know, right there with Deepak Chopra. So I guess I'm two degrees from Deepak um, if we're playing that game. Uh-huh. And uh, I met him and really learned to formally meditate there. Um, I am a, a, a rock climber. I was an alpine climber for many years. And that's sort of how I started is, you know, to get up 3,000 feet you actually are 5,000 feet you actually do it one step at a time Mm -hmm. and often you're going up a huge mountain to get to a tiny technical pitch so you need to be on game when you get up there and just tuning in there so it can be anything from hiking cooking dinner to really sitting in silence and really meditating you can make anything a meditation practice if if that's where you want to be absolutely anything absolutely anything brushing your teeth taking a shower um, uh, for a man, I think it would be incredibly transformational to shave your face and see yourself change right there and really enjoy watching that. Anything can become a meditation. It's, it's, you know, here's, a, I'll let up another secret. Um, there is no meditation police department. They will not <laughs> come and issue you a citation if you're not doing it right. Uh, anything, even, even taking out the garbage can be a, a meditation of, hey, I'm removing this from my life and I'm taking it to some people who can deal with it correctly. Well, it's interesting you say that because I've I've seen a lot of online trainings for meditations and a lot of times they start by saying there are a lot of trainings out there that don't teach you the proper way to meditate, but we're going to teach you the proper way. Now, here's the price and here's... <laughs> And I'm just saying that, but you know, like it's true. I think that, I think that you made a very important point that meditation is a very personal thing. And if it works for you, it works for you. It doesn't have to be what someone else says it has to be. So yeah, absolutely. Orange, orange robe, cushion, and, and rice bowl not required. No, exactly. <laughs> we'll take anyone to who will apply. And and really, when you get a lot of meditation is uh, so cumulative that, you know, even if you start, if I say I'm going to start meditating in the next 15 seconds and I only meditate for 15 seconds a day for 10 days, it becomes cumulative. You start to look forward to it and then you want to make it 20 seconds. And you want to make it a minute. And, you know, I'm a, I, it's funny that I'm afraid of squirrels because I run around pretty much like a squirrel. <laughs> you would never believe that I could sit anywhere for any length of time. But uh, meditation has really, co- has really brought me into that quietness and to crave that quietness. I don't have to have it, but it makes my day go a lot better. And the science behind it is amazing that they've now been able to prove that it it changes our brains and it does it fairly quickly as long as you do that every day for six weeks or you know a certain period of time, our brain really changes. So it's right. pretty fascinating. And the cool thing is it's not like a meditation where uh, a medication uh, well there's right. a slip yeah. um, that you have to do at the same time every day the same amount you know if you miss a day you can make it up it let's say sure. an, another thing that uh, was hard for me to blast past is yeah am i doing it right and sometimes even as experienced a meditator as i am and as reliant as i am to mm-hmm. be successful at my job uh, using meditation there's sometimes when i'm all over the place you know, I may as well be in the middle of Disneyland waiting to get on Space Mountain, but I 
I sat and did my best. And so if you just do your best and, and sit for a few minutes, whether it's 15 seconds, 15 minutes, or you go to a, an all an all silent retreat for 10 days, as long as you're putting your best foot forward on it, then you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Yes, sure. Melissa, I know that you have lots of examples about how mind, uh, mindfulness has been amazing for you, but have you ever had a challenge with it? Have you ever felt like, man, this thing just isn't working or what's the matter with me? What's the matter with mindfulness? About 18 times a day <laughs> <laughs> on an average day. You know, I'm not perfect at all. I, definitely uh, sometimes I just, you know, throw down and, and start swearing and getting real mad and I realize I'm out of it. And there's there's uh, days when I think, am I really getting anywhere? Sure. If I didn't have doubt, then I, I wouldn't be a human being. Yeah. Absolutely. And and particularly when I'm um when I first started climbing and realized that climbing was a meditation where I am, you know, walking up a hill for five, six, seven hours and you're starting at four in the morning, you know, it sounds like a, sounds like a, a meditator's dream right there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there were times when I would just almost throw my stuff down and go, I just can't go another step. And I realized I was out of mindfulness because, uh, meditation is all about the present. If you start dragging in the past, you start bringing in the future. That's when you drift off as closely as you can stay in the present. That's when it really works. But there's plenty of times I'm not out in the present that I, I like to get up in, you know, in the middle of the night and talk about in my head, things that happened in 1974, <laughs> 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 1981, you know, t- this time we're covering years, 1979 through 1988 from three to four in the morning. I do it all the time. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I'm interested in your life in corporate America and how mindfulness played a role during that time, because I'm sure it was very challenging. Did you have a specific a specific situation that you can recall that was just so challenging and mindfulness sort of brought you through it? Well, kind of, again, every day of my life, uh, I went through Arthur Anderson during Enron. So that was very tricky. Mm-hmm. And then I later on went on to another public accounting firm that um, my mindfulness was not particularly welcome there. And I <laughs> often faced pretty much a firing squad of managing partners saying, how could you make this decision? Um, I think one of my favorite my favorite terms was, what have we got to lose? And I would do something. And I ended up managing $45 million very successfully that way, which they loved that part, but sometimes right. they didn't agree with my. And, uh, you know, I w- remember one particular time when I got a call. I had an off-site managing partner who called and told me to fire someone. That had there was no reason to let this person go whatsoever. They were a great performer. They'd been there for 25 years. Um, they were certainly crucial to what we were doing, and it was for budgetary purposes. And he said, "Go in there and fire her right now." And and I just took a big breath and went, "You know, what have I got to lose?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "No, I will not. I absolutely will not. What you're doing is unethical. It's illegal, and it's unnecessary." I will not do this. And I thought, you know, if he fires me, I'm just going to have to accept that. And he said, if you don't, if you don't go in there and fire her right now, I'll fire you. And I said, get yourself on a plane and make your, make your decision. I'm not going to do it. And I don't think my heart rate went up one beat. Really? Because I went, you know, I'm doing the right thing here and I'm coming from a place of, uh, of love and I'm coming from a place of intention and I'm coming from a place of ethics. 
And I, but I had to dig deep. And I think if I hadn't been, I was climbing a ton at the time. And that's really where my main meditation was. I don't think if I, if I had been in that space, I would have folded and caved and said, okay, I'll do whatever you want to keep my job. Cause it was 2008 and we all remember that economy. Oh yes. Yeah. It rained and we all got wet. Mm-hmm. So that really did. got me through. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about discipline, Melissa. How do you have the discipline to meditate every day and to do what you do? And you're a very busy person, obviously. Just share with us some thoughts about discipline, would you? Well, it helps to stay on a regular schedule, but it's not totally necessary. Uh, If you get up and the first thing you do is meditate, your mind's already pretty clear from the night before. So it's easier to slip in and slip out. There's plenty of times when I don't get to it till about 10 o'clock and that works too. But I know it's very necessary for me. Um, I actually will get sick if I get out of mindfulness. I'll get a pretty bad migraine or I'll start feeling bad. Um, But I really focus on not avoiding the pain, but avoiding the rewards. That way, when something spikes up, you know, I've got a I've got a squirrel in my ceiling. Uh, (laughs) God, I have no electricity. I have no heat in the house, no electricity in my office and the basement's flooding. I just go, well, you know, I'm just going to have to call some people in here. So the payoff (laughs) is so big. It's hard for me not to do it. And the thing is, it pays off right away. Your blood pressure goes down right away. Yeah, isn't that amazing that it happens so fast? Mm-hmm. I yeah. love it. Yeah, I do too. Melissa, I've worked in bullying prevention for quite a while, and I've seen the practice of mindfulness can really make a huge positive difference in the lives of children or adults who have been bullied. Do you have a story about a bullying situation you'd share with us? I do, uh, and it's pretty recent. It's maybe like six, seven years ago I um – you know, without going into too much hairy detail, I started dating someone whose wife had passed within the year. And uh, it was in the climbing community, which is an incredibly close-knit community. These are great people. I mean, we do lots of cool stuff together and spend a lot of time together. And it, that my decision to date the widow uh, was in, uh, unpopular with one or two people. And that really spread and mm-hmm. it got bad to where I couldn't go to things. And at the time I was running some climbing festivals. I was very visible in the community, um, more for my administrative techniques than my climbing techniques. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I felt like every time I went into a room, people were talking about me and I was being, I mean, it was, it was big. I was being trashed on Facebook and I thought, Oh my goodness, I'm 48 years old and I'm getting trashed on Facebook by people that I've hung on a rope with. So it was really, really close to my heart. And I had to dig deep and and uh, do a couple of things that I, I realized you know, were techniques now. First of all, I um, it caused me to look and say, well, are you really doing this, dating this person with the best of intentions? So I was 75% devastated and 25% introspective. And I went back and said, yes, you know, I'm in this for the right reasons. I really meditated about it. I prayed about it. And I went to the 75% that was, you know, just going haywire and really uh, did what I know now is called uh, the Zorro Circle. And that's in uh, the book, The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor. But I didn't know what it was called at the time. I just pulled two or three friends close and said, this is what's going on with me. And I need to be in sort of uh, a space where I can be myself. Are you? Are we cool? Are you guys cool with me dating this person? Is this going okay? And I got comfortable in small spaces with limited numbers of people because I was almost to the point where I couldn't go out. Right. 
And then I expanded it and brought a couple more people in without, I didn't need to go trash the bullies. I didn't need to tell everyone everything that was going on, but Hey, you know, I need you guys to, to come close to me right now. And I got to where I could go to small things where they absolutely wouldn't be there. And part of the Zorro, Zorro circle is, you know, the legend of Zorro is he wasn't always this great swashbuckler. Mm-hmm. At one point, he was terrible, and he was getting his butt kicked all over the place. Mm-hmm. And his teacher sat down and drew a circle and said, stand in there and defend that circle. And when you can defend that, we'll expand it. And Zorro expanded the circle until he could do anything. So I literally drew my own little circle, got in there with a couple of friends, and started to expand it and started to expand it till I could go somewhere where these people who are bullying me might be there. They might not. And then I got to the point where I could go to an event where I knew they would be there and I knew they might be close to me and I could stand in my own power and my own ethics and hold my own and not get upset and have to go home and be upset all night or go, oh, I need nine glasses of wine to be here. Right. I could stand and really be myself. And that's when I knew I had sort of conquered it. But I I really started with that small circle of the Zorro circle. Right. So it was a fear. And you've talked about fear in different ways today. You've talked about your fear of squirrels and your, <laughs> you know, some different fears. But mindfulness really can help us deal with our fears. Can you address that a little bit more? Absolutely. You know, when you feel that tell of fear, if you just start breathing, you can bring that fear down. Uh, and that's that's where it really comes in with even even facing a fear of I kind of tend to take it to the ridiculous. What's the worst thing that could happen here? You know, the mm-hmm. squirrels could pop through and they're living in my house. and They're using my cell phone. I don't know. <laughs> um, but that the, the mindfulness helps you really look and go, you know, fear is is there. You can't bottle fear. You can't buy fear. You can't sell fear on the Internet. Um, fear is an emotion that you have and you are in full charge of whether you want that emotion to come up or not. And, you know, talk about facing your fears. I'm terrified of heights. I never thought I'd be a rock climber. I don't particularly like rock climbing, but I like climbers, and that's the best place to find them. So I climb with them. And I, I lots of times I've had to look and say, you know, lots of people have climbed this. It's been very safe. I'm with safe people, and I know what I'm doing. I'm going to do this. And that's all basically going through a meditation in your mind. Yes, I, I guess it is. Melissa, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Uh, my cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not a person. Okay, uh, when my kids were babies. Because they are so accepting. They have no past and they no future. You know, you step on your cat's tail and he's not mad at you two hours later. No. He's You open up a can of food and you're friends again. And so that just acceptance of completely the present mm-hmm. has probably been my biggest influence. A baby's the same way. You know, they cry, you feed them. They don't hold it against you that you took an extra 10 seconds. No, they don't. How has mindfulness affected your emotions or those of some of your clients? Well, for me personally, I was probably the biggest swayer of emotions um, you could ever possibly meet when I was in my 30s. And before I was really meditating, I was all over the place and I had about the hottest temper you can imagine. I love to scorch the village. And now that I uh, am more mindful, I know I can take a breath and come at things more from a place of love and more from a place of understanding and wanting to make things right rather than just getting my way. And that was going to be my next question. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. 
Wow. It's uh, breathing is, is everything and nothing. It's as important as you make it. There's some days when I realize I'm not breathing and I need to breathe. And uh, for me, meditation starts with that first breath. And that tells my body and my mind and my soul that, hey, it's go time, kids. We're going to meditate. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would it be? Oh, wow. This is your toughest question because this is like telling you which one of my kids is my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I really love right now uh, The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor because I think it has so much more appeal. Um, Mindfulness and meditation, you know, kind of goes in the woo-woo bucket for some people, but being happy um, is a little bit more uh, acceptable in corporate places and in places where maybe mindfulness wouldn't go. But it's secretly a book about mindfulness. Uh. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What advice would you give a person who is new to the whole idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? Uh, It doesn't need to be complicated at all. In fact, the least complicated meditation is the best. That can be breathing, um, a 16-second meditation where you breathe in for four, hold for four, let out for four, and hold out for four. Uh, You don't need a fancy cushion. You don't need anything fancy. You really just need to breathe and to spend a little time. And you don't have to start with an hour. You can start with, with, I just did a 16-second recommendation. Yes. Awesome. That's great. Well, you know, you've got so much to share and it's really fascinating to hear. I'd love to go back more to your childhood again and tell us some of the experiences. What was your passion? What really made you tick when you were a kid? Uh, I love to study and I really love to be quiet and I was profoundly shy. So I spent a lot of time by myself. Um, As I mentioned, I worked in a convent. I worked in the basement of the convent in the back room, and I love to be back there. I really enjoyed being outside. Uh, I I worked at a summer camp for many years, and I was kind of the go-to person for any problems at summer camp, which you think, oh, what problems are there at summer camp? But you're doing risky stuff all day. You're horseback riding with kids, and there's guns and archery and all kinds of things, and there was lots going on there. And I really loved – I almost had a ministry there at probably the age of 13 or 14. But I had had no idea uh, how profound that – the effect I had on people. And I had no idea the profound effect it was having on me as uh, becoming a transformational person. Hmm. So, so when you're dealing with other people and you're interacting with other people as a psychic, do you just immediately know what they're up to, know what's going on, know their vibes? Absolutely. I, I spend about a half hour prepping. Uh, if I'm out, if, if we meet out at a coffee shop or a cocktail party, I'm not reading you. I've spent a lot of time closing it off so that I, that doesn't happen when I go out. But when I have a client, uh, I will typically spend about a half hour in very deep, fun meditation. Uh, most of the time, the reading is done before they get there. I know what they're going to ask. I know what we're going to talk about. I know where we're going to go with it. Occasionally, I'll get a few loops in there that I'm able to uh, bring in more information. But I spend a lot of time before they come in uh, really tuning in and asking for the highest and best information. And if I take a shower, there's something about the shower that uh, – my guides know that they can do anything in the shower. And sometimes I'm just like, guys, I just want to wash my hair. <laughs> We're not on the clock. <laughs> Fun meditation. Tell us more about that. 
you know, sometimes you're, yeah, I'm, I'm, I will, um, if I'm getting ready for a client, when I first started, I, my skills weren't as, as solid as they are now. And, you know, my, my skills get better every day. I would have to, you know, beg for guides to come in. Okay, I'm ready. Here comes my person. And now they come in and they're super fun and they bring me funny things and really cool things. Um, I'm going to throw you for a loop right now that when I first started, I started with animals. I started as an animal communicator and those were my first classes uh-huh. and uh, those were amazing readings but I found that it just wasn't my sweet spot I really loved working with people right and and when animals come in they'll say anything and they will do anything to get your attention and they're lots of fun sure yeah I, well we can certainly learn a lot from animals I know I've got two cats and a dog at home and I mean, they're pretty darn mindful, I'll tell they you. Are. They're amazingly <laughs> mindful. And I, I just keep thinking, wow, Sadie, man, you're, you're a mindful Westie. You really are. Absolutely. So and when you, um, when you see a dog go out and see something so, that stinks so nicely to them that they want to completely roll their entire body in it, yes. you know, that kind of mindfulness, you can't even buy that. <laughs> yeah, no, you How'd you like can't. to love something so much that you wanted to roll in it? Yeah, really. Yeah, wow. Well, I suppose there are a few things if I really think about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, you know, Melissa, it's been fantastic chatting with you. I just just wonder if uh, Mindful Tribe wants to contact you or learn more about what you do. How can we do that? Well, I'm, I'm not so psychic that you can do that with your mind. (laughs) So I do have a website and it is uh, thepsychicgenius.com. And that's my website. That's the best way to uh, figure out what's going on with me. I'm also on Facebook as The Psychic Genius, um, as well as my personal Facebook page, Melissa Mattern. And I'm a new um, lover of Twitter. And uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Melissa Whispers, or Whispers Melissa. And uh, you can pick that up on my website, too. And I just, I I love that you have lots of access to people, and it's very real-time. And you can have a lot of uh, fun meeting people that are in the same boat as with mindfulness, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. All of this will be in our show notes. So thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode, Melissa. It's been a real pleasure. I really, really appreciate talking to you and uh, can't wait to connect with you again. Oh, thank you, Bruce. And thank you to everybody who's listening. It is an honor to be able to speak with you and spend this time with you. And I just invite you to spread this joy um, out to the world because we, the more people, the better. Thanks, Melissa. Bye now. Thanks, Bruce. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. In appreciation, I'll mention you at the top of an upcoming show. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.